Welcome in once again, Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. Cher Hale is our guest, and she has PR advice for the modern era. You know, this is not your mother's PR. Cher Hale's company blends the traditional mass media approach with niche approaches. Think podcasts, blogs, etc. Don't miss this talk that will help you understand modern PR. Also, don't miss your opportunity to support this podcast and Athena International and we'll also give you some extras like from this interview share hale spend some extra time with us and you can get to that by going to the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com and then checking out the patronage links right at the top of the site all right let's get going it is time for episode number 58 to begin right now Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business, one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Bolitnikoff, and I believe this is a first for the podcast in that we have our first PR expert, and she does a lot more than just PR, but we're going to get into all of that in a second. And I'll read a little bit of her bio. It's uh, Cher Hale, and she works with authors, expert entrepreneur, and brands committed to making the world a better place. And she herself is very intentional about that mission. In fact, she works collaboratively collaboratively, try to say that three times real fast, with (laughs) clients to identify visibility goals that support leadership positioning and premium pricing. And this is what I'm going to find pretty interesting as we talk here, Cher, is without sacrificing personal values are participating in puff pieces. So that's <laughs> that's all a, uh, and you, you certainly see a lot of that online these days. And in the media, you do see those puff pieces. And I, I just like to have you expand on everything. Cher Hale, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your time. And uh, the floor is yours to expand on uh, what I just said. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I think, you know, what you said about puff pieces and that standing out to you, uh, especially important in this day and age, you know, right now we're in the middle of a presidential election. Uh, There's lots of news pieces coming out about our candidates. And I think that when we have an emphasis on news that matters, meaningful news with like meaningful narratives and stories, that's what really helps us as a culture and a society move forward. So my whole intention as a publicist is, you know, the publicists get kind of a bad rap for being the ones that like hide the, the scandals that are happening in the news um, or that bring up people who aren't necessarily, you know, who don't necessarily have um, a positive mission behind their businesses. And so I really wanted to be the publicist who highlighted people in the news who have positive stories, who are making a big impact in our world and who are either marginalized or underrepresented because I am a first generation Taiwanese American. And it's important to me to see more people like myself in the media so that we can all feel like we have a spotlight to show the good things that we're doing and to have, you know, more of a, when we have the influence, when we see other people doing amazing, positive things, and I think it encourages others to do that as well. So as a publicist, I try to use PR for good. Yeah, let's talk about that, the process that you go through, because I find 
that you're a publicist for the new generation. And what I mean by that is, is that you're really good. And this is from your bio. You're really good at booking podcast interviews. Obviously, a publicist from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, that would be a radio interview. But you're really good at podcast interviews. And then you get a lot of bylined articles in top publications and all that kind of stuff. So what is your process like to make all that happen to really get people out there in, let's be honest, it is a deluge of information out there. And to get people to stand out is a very challenging prospect these days. Yeah, my issue really is, and I think this happens to a lot of female entrepreneurs around my age range, that they want to help everybody who comes to them. But what I found in my years of experience is that I have to find the right client at the right time. So I, I unfortunately have to say no to a lot of people who might not have stories yet um, that are, quote unquote, newsworthy for what the media is looking for. And so what I look for first when a client comes to me, that they have an interesting story and that they're continuing to do interesting things because there's a big difference, as you know, between maybe a career coach who helps people get to their next, you know, big calling and a career coach who every time uh, she helps somebody land um, their next big job, donates to a charity toward her charity of choice or like whatever impact she's trying to make. And so I think that even just finding people with that distinction makes a difference. So you're really good at curating the right types of clients for what you do. But when you get that right client, what is it that you do to really, I, I guess, build relationships with all these different podcasts and publications and all those types of things, because it's kind of like a, you're kind of an in-between person, right? So you have to find this, this client that has this great story to tell, but then you have to earn the trust of the podcasters and the people that are in positions where they're editors of publications and whatnot. You have to earn their trust that, yeah, share, I know, She's going to bring me the clients who are going to deliver the stories to make my mission move forward. Podcasts, more downloads, publications, more readers, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you balance all that? Yeah, this is actually one of the aspects of PR that I find most fun because it's so challenging. You know, every day I deal with a lot of rejection, but I also have a lot of wins. And so I, what happens is I think about the client that I have. And I, I always have, you know, new shows coming on my radar, new outlets, new writers, um, new producers. And I think, okay, based on her expertise and what this news outlet has been covering, like, where's the happy medium? Like, where is the ideal marriage between those two? Um, and I try to find, you know, I do a lot of creative brainstorming. Like, what are the right stories? What are the right angles? And when I come to this person, I say, hey, you know, I've been reading your news pieces on these topics. I like how you cover these things. Would you be interested in maybe these three stories? Here's my expert. Here's why she matters. Um, is this something that you'd be like move forward on? And I think that, you know, a lot of the times I hear a no or I hear nothing at all. But when it hits, when it's the right piece, it's such a beautiful connection point for myself and the journalist and for the journalist and my client. And it really, you know, lots of amazing news can happen. I just had a client who got a piece on Forbes about high functioning anxiety, which is a condition you don't really hear about very often. Um, but for people who have it and struggle with it, they now have a place to go or something to search for that will help them understand what they're going through and manage their condition on, on, in a way that, you know, helps them with their, their lives. So what don't we know about PR 
and being a publicist that we should know. So I'm a company, I'm an owner, an entrepreneur. Well, I, I shouldn't say I'm a company. Well, I guess some people are just a company because they're solopreneurs, right? So they are the company. At any rate, I'm getting too caught up in semantics here. The main question is, what should people know about publicity and PR that they don't? This is a great question and one that I hear often. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs assume that the media comes to you so that they're kind of just waiting to be discovered, so to say. And what the truth is that you have to create the right angles. You have to have an interesting story and you have to go to the media to find the right people and pitch them your story. And it's constant outreach uh, and it has to happen on a consistent basis. So if you really want to get press, especially in big places like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, you have to be consistent and you have to be always thinking about what makes your story fit within what's happening already in the news cycle. So it's a lot of strategy involved and it's a lot of outreach and it's a lot of rejection. Uh, so, you know, go to the media. The media doesn't always come to you. When that does happen, it's usually just a random occurrence and not the rule. All right, let's take my podcast as an example or the podcast that I share with Athena International. And let's just say that we wanted to get publicity for it. Now, I'm not asking to get free advice here just because I have you on the other end of the microphone. But what are some of the things if I had an initial meeting with you that you would sit down and talk to me about as far as furthering this podcast and getting it into the media? Yeah, great question. I would ask you first, who are the people that are already listening to the show and who are the people that you want to reach? So we would do a lot of target audience stuff. And the reason I say that is because you can, let's say you pitch yourself to a hundred different podcasts and maybe at the end of the day, you get, you know, 20 bookings and only five of those are people that actually would come to listen to your show. It's not the best use of your time. So we want to make sure that we're pitching to the right places. And so I'm asking you, where, who are the people listening to the show already? What are they saying to you? What's their feedback so far? And, you know, when you think about these people, what other things are they consuming? Podcasts, news, uh, social media, like what are they already, what are their daily lives look like when it comes to media consumption? And so we would analyze all of that stuff. And I would say, okay, here are, let's say, 50 shows that I think you should pitch yourself for because your ideal people are listening to those shows already. So we would pitch you to those shows and say, hey, here are the three things that Jeff could talk about um, that could be interesting to your listeners. Would you want to have them on? And when you are booked on those shows, you would go and tell your story or give your advice, whatever the case may be for the format of the show. And then you would offer those listeners somewhere to go so they can come find your show and listen to your show too. And that way we build a sense of community and momentum uh, with the press that you're getting. And I would assume that it builds a ton of credibility for your clients when they have other media and podcasts and whatnot that are kind of confirming that they are the expert in their field. Am I right about that? Definitely. One of the major reasons clients come to me is because they want to build clout within their industry. So they want to be seen as the expert. And when, you know, Money Magazine or CNN says that this expert can tell you about XYZ thing, there really is a sense of reputation building that happens and people begin to trust you more. So you might be the expert already, but if you're not getting press and other people might not think that you really know what you're talking about. And so press just helps solidify your platform. So how did you get interested in all this? I know you had mentioned that you had a journalism background and, but just 
to really dig into the whys of why you started this and what kind of keeps you going as far as when you go through the tough times, because as entrepreneurs, of course, there's always those tough times that you have to fight your way through. Right. This is stories actually very on brand with Athena because the only reason I got into PR was because I had a professor in college who asked me to be her to be her intern. She was an adjunct professor for women's studies. And on the side, she was a career coach who was launching her very first book. And at 19, I had no idea what I was really doing with PR, but I said, okay, I trust you. And she gave me templates and she role played cold calls with me uh, and gave me just a, a basic feel for what putting yourself into a position of publicist looked like, what it looked like to ask for press. And I remember actually uh, being awake at 4 a.m. in Las Vegas and cold calling producers in New York City at 7 a.m. their time for CNN and NBC and really big outlets and like reading off my script, trying to pitch in a way that sounded professional and like I wasn't shaking and being amazed that they said yes to my pitches. Not all of them, but the ones that mattered. And we ended up landing CNN and NBC for spots uh, for interviews as an expert for her. And I remember thinking, wow, it is so incredible that if I just put these words together in this way and ask for this placement that I potentially could change someone's career. And for me, it was such a moment of like a having another woman lift me up and teach me and take the time to show me what it was like to be professional. And then B, you know, building this skill and saying, okay, now what else can I do with this skill? And then going into marketing and learning that I could use the same skill to get sponsorships for podcasts or for any other thing that I need to get sponsorships for. Um, Using that same skill to ask for help with charity events when I was volunteering. Um, Using that same skill to write copy for websites and just, you know, having that that skill of persuasive writing and and tuning tuning it into other aspects of my career and building out that that approach and then coming back to PR years later and saying, okay, now that the landscape has changed, uh, how can I be most valuable to other entrepreneurs who are making a difference in this world? Um, and PR ended up being what stuck for me, what was like challenging for me and fun for me. And it just feels like, you know, it's the best way to be a conduit to tell stories that matter. Maybe you could talk about podcasting and cause that interests me, not because I have a podcast, but also because of how the media landscape is shifting. Certainly, if you get a spot on CNN, ABC, NBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Huffington Post, Forbes, all those things, it's great to have that kind of big megaphone. But maybe you could speak to the opportunities that entrepreneurs sometimes don't see because they're thinking, well, I haven't heard of these 10 podcasts you want to put me on. So I'm not as excited about that, but it's a powerful medium. And there's just, like I said, the media landscape is rearranging. So maybe you could talk about the value of not only the big hits on like a major network, but also having a series of pretty decent wins on podcasts. I'd love to hear your perspective on all that. Yeah, I find this so interesting because, you know, the recent news cycle has been saying how our attention spans are getting shorter, right? (laughs) They're all saying that we can't pay attention, we're addicted to our phones, all of this stuff. And what I'm finding is that 
there's also a trend toward longer term, like longer form narratives, so podcasts where we will sit in our cars and listen to 60 minutes to an interview sometimes over a span of maybe three or four car rides and be really interested in the person's story and feel connected not only to the host, but to the guest as well. So there's a sense of intimacy that's that that happens. It's be able to form when you have a podcast like setting that's not possible when you have a 30 second segment on NBC or even a feature on Forbes. There's just a sense of like getting to know the person on a very human level that I think is missing in other forms of media. So all that to say is, you know, there's also this rise of not only influencers, but micro influencers and nano influencers. And all of them have their own platforms where they've taken time over the years to build really engaged, intimate communities, um, many of which span just as much reach as, as some of these big outlets. Uh, so if you can find influencers like that and connect with them and, want to, and tell your story through their medium, which gives them great content as well, uh, you can have just as much press, like just as much credible press as you could from one of those big outlets. And what's more, because it's in this podcasting format, people are more used to going online to search you afterward, which means that your conversions are higher. So you can get more email subscribers, more listeners, people willing to buy whatever you're selling because there, this is a sense of intimacy and trust that you've already formed. You've taken the time to do that with them. I can see in this world to be an entrepreneur, business owner, marketing director, it's just getting more and more complex. In fact, I call it the shiny toy syndrome. Just when you master mm -hmm. one social media platform, three others form. Just when the video, rich media, all that stuff, build video into your ads. That's the Vogue thing. Then all of a sudden it's podcasts and then it's this and it's that. And there's just a lot of noise coming at people, a lot of clutter. So how do you help your clients kind of focus themselves and break through all that so that they can have their marketing and PR efforts churn along and bring those conversions you just talked about without spending their whole lives trying to understand it. They can actually work on their business as opposed to trying to chase that new shiny toy. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I have a lot of clients who do fall into this trap where they think, they ask me like, sure, you know, I just heard about this new platform. Remember Periscope when it was around for whatever, six months that it was around, should I start using it? Uh, and I always tell them, you know, Based on what I know about you and what your strengths are, here are the platforms that I think that you could make the most impact. And I really encourage them to use their personality and what they're interested in, as opposed to like what could be great for marketing um, first as, as, a, as a marker for priority, because if they're excited about it and they like it, they're more likely to use it. And I think consistency is what matters most when it comes to any marketing effort than just being on all the platforms, being on the platforms that matter most to you, where your people are hanging out. So it really gets down to it's old school. I mean, these might be new school platforms, but it's old school. It's a coach, consultant, expert like yourself digging in, understanding their business helping them understand their business in maybe a way they haven't even thought of before, and then putting them on a couple key platforms that really work for them that they can continue to build an audience and credibility on. Absolutely. And it's funny because a lot of my clients uh, will come to me with a few story ideas. And as we develop our relationship and I get to know them, I'm able to show them all the different ways that their expertise can be used to the point where they're saying, wow, I didn't realize that I knew so much or I didn't realize that I could help others in this way to this extent. 
So can you give me an example of that? Like, and, and again, you don't have to betray any confidentiality, but uh, I'd love to hear how you engage with the client, help them find their story, and then move them ahead, maybe further than they thought they could move ahead. Yeah, of course. I have a client, Nancy Jane Smith. She's the author of a book called The Happier Approach. And when she came to me, she had published, she had actually self-published her book a year prior and just wasn't getting the kinds of sales or attention that she thought that she could be getting if she put more effort into it. And her story ideas were things around like, you know, why we think we have to beat ourselves up to get things done. Or have a problem that we all have. Uh, why our stress and anxiety is so high. What it looks like to like, what do we do to help us reduce stress? So these were all interesting ideas, but I thought, okay, based on what's happening in our world, how can we make those ideas even more, you know, newsworthy and relevant? And I think one of the, the ways that we're doing it right now is with this presidential campaign, which is very much on my mind, considering the news, uh, I look at our last election cycle where things like headline stress disorder were invented, um, were coined, and where there was a study done by the APA that said that 52% of Americans were significantly stressed out because of the election. And I think, okay, Nancy has something to say about this. She can give people uh, strategies that are not meditation to help them reduce their stress and manage their emotions so that they can continue to make informed decisions as citizens during the selection process. And that's a way that you take her expertise on what's happening in the news and you combine them to make something newsworthy. So the upshot of it was that she finally realized the type of sales and attention that she was looking for? Absolutely. Since then, she's gotten uh, hits on Forbes and she's gotten hits on things like Career Contessa, like places that where her people are hanging out where they need her advice. Um, and she's seen an uptick in email conversions. She's seen an uptick in listeners to her podcast. Um, and people are just generally paying more attention to what she's doing. And she has more credibility because her ass-eating bar on her website shows that she's been featured in big outlets. Your path could have been trying to work for a big ad agency, PR firm, et cetera, graduate from college, get a job, and maybe try to be the VP of that firm or something like that. But you took a different path. You took an entrepreneurial path. And... I'd like to know why. Why was it that you opted to kind of jump off into the scary world of entrepreneurship when it sounds like not only with your internship, but your background and your energy, it sounds like you'd have fit very well in a pretty well-paying job coming out of college. But again, you opted for the uncertainty of entrepreneurship. What was the uh, what were the motivations behind that? Yeah, my parents were not thrilled about that, considering I went to a four-year school with the intention of getting a job um, in a corporation, especially in a place like Las Vegas, where they had lots of chances to work in PR on a strip. But the fact of the matter is, is that I had a really good influence around me, showing me that it was possible to live this kind of at the time, unconventional lifestyle, uh, where you could work for yourself and have more freedom and travel the world, and you know do whatever you wanted with with the intentions that you set for yourself. Because uh, right after I had that first internship, I worked for a woman named Natalie Sisson. And she had a website, and she still does, called The Suitcase Entrepreneur, where she just traveled full time out of her suitcase and made money online. I thought, wow, like, you know, here are all the ways that it's possible to live this kind of lifestyle and have this business. And while I don't ever want to travel full time, uh, I did like the idea of being able to set my own schedule and work with people that I liked 
um, and kind of just live this life that I molded for myself. And so I, I could never imagine sitting in a corporation at a desk, um, having to do things I didn't want to do with people that I didn't want to do them with. <laughs> so the, the idea of freedom was really appealing to me and it was worth the risk. And I've never looked back. I don't think I can ever work at a corporation actually. What kind of struggles have you gone through as you've built this business and how have you been able to overcome them? Because, you know, as we know, being an entrepreneur is definitely not all rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, it's not glamorous at all. People really think it is, especially people thinking I'm PR that is glamorous. But what I really struggle with and what I've struggled to overcome over the past seven years is that I am more capable than I realize. So it's been a confidence issue for me. And over the years, I've had to really learn how to accurately price my services in a way that helps me go where I want to go and maintain a lifestyle that I wanted to maintain. And it's been hard for me to charge what I need to be charging, uh, which is a common thing I hear from lots of entrepreneurs as well. So confidence was a huge issue for me. And I think that I'm always learning how to be more confident. And a lot of it has to do too with just building more technical skill. So it comes from both angles, the mindset angle and the skill angle. All right. So let's head into our Athena-based questions. And there's eight Athena leadership principles from the book, Becoming Athena, Eight Principles to Enlighten Leadership by Athena International founder, Martha Mertz. And the principle we'd like you to talk about is give back. What does that mean to you? Giving back to me, I think, is how every business should operate. It should be a foundational element because what I want to see, I want to, I want to see conscious consumerism being the like conscious consumers and conscious capitalism being the absolute priority in our society. So it's like a business who not only sells a service, but gives back when they do it in some capacity. So that could be something as, as simple as like making mentorship or allyship, um, a value in a company and really exemplifying that or something as, you know, concrete as giving a donation for every, however many sales they make. To me, that's really how we should be operating as business owners. So I think giving back to me, that's it just a, a lifestyle that I've learned to, to operate from. So it's really just part of your, the business DNA that you have right now. It, it weaves its way, giving back weaves its way into everything that you do. It's like, it, it's it's almost like if you have a cell phone, electric bill, taxes that you have to pay quarterly, giving back is just something that is a part of your business. Am I right about that? Absolutely. It's an ethos that I always want to to exemplify. And I think that, you know, it comes through not even just in donations. Cause I, I do give a donation for every client that I land, um, but also in the in the operations of my business. So I'm going through a rebrand right now where I'm changing the website and the messaging and everything that goes along with it. And one of my rules for this rebrand was I wanted to find people who aren't already famous for what they're doing. And it might come from a marginalized community and that are local to me here in Spokane, Washington. So I made a real effort to find people who aren't being talked about, who might be like a woman of color um, and make an effort to work with her for the rebrand. And it's turned out so beautifully with the support I've been able to get and give to this entrepreneur um, and the connections I've made uh, and just the general feeling that I'm, I'm doing a small part, even intangibly to give back and show this person that they have the capacity to do other bigger things in their business. Would you mind sharing a story or two with the, how you are 
accomplishing that and bringing somebody forward that, like you said, their stories may not have ever been told if it weren't for you. So I'd love to hear a story about that. Yeah. So I actually, I know a lot of photographers in the area, but they're all white women of a certain socioeconomic level. And while they're all fantastic, I really want to talk a woman of color. Um, so I asked for referrals, asked around, and I found this woman called Justine Pereira, who I hadn't heard of and who was doing beautiful work, but she was doing mostly infants and family portraits. So I just emailed her and I asked her, hey, you know, I'm looking to do this rebrand. Your work looks beautiful. Would you consider doing a, a photo shoot for branding? I'm not sure if that's in your wheelhouse, but if you are up for it, I'm up to help you to help walk you through what I need. And so she said, yes. She thought she was up for the challenge. We actually, I helped, I figured out the, the pieces that she didn't have access to already. So, you know, how to do a shot list for entrepreneurs, like what they need, the location, um, the outfits, all that stuff that I didn't even know myself, but got advice for other people for and then helped her understand what I was looking for. And the shoot turned out beautifully. And as a result, she began taking a branding photo shoot class for entrepreneurs and is going to offer this service to other people in the area. Um, which is another way for her to earn income and, you know, expand her, her skills as a photographer. Wow. You helped her create a whole new arm of her business. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. And she's a great person. and I can't wait to work with her again and to introduce everyone that I know to her. So it really is just a matter of, you know, helping her expand her network, helping her see a different skill set that she didn't have before and giving her a chance to, to prove herself. Well, usually our second Athena question is uh, how are women helping other women and elevating them? But I think that you kind of just covered that beautifully. So <laughs> that's awesome. I love that story and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Let's uh, talk about resources that inspire you? Some resources that you'd like to mention to our audience that you think they might benefit from plugging into? Yeah. Uh, given that they're all entrepreneurs, I think the one of the best books for entrepreneurship is actually a book on mindfulness. And that's called Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. And it's all about how we suffer as humans and as individuals because we want things to always remain at an equal equilibrium. But the reality is that things are always coming together and then falling apart. And when we can accept this, this part of life, everything just becomes much easier. And I think as, a, as an entrepreneur, we live in very chaotic lives. We have a lot of uncertainty, like you mentioned before. And when we can accept that things are always going to be shifting like this and changing, uh, we can adapt better to our situations and thrive in chaotic circumstances. I agree with you completely on that. I'd never thought of that, but it is absolutely true that every time you think you have something set or down and you're all ready to go and you're just going to keep it going like this for the next 10 years, you can't even sometimes keep it going for 10 minutes. And, <laughs> and it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Do you have any examples of that in your business? I'm sure you've had to shift your business a number of times over the years. So do you have an example that maybe when you read that book and then you thought back to what happened in your business, you're like, Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. I remember going through that. Yeah. I think most recently I mentioned that the rebrand that I'm going through and that's happening because things are always changing and shifting the marketplace because what people need, what entrepreneurs need to, to survive and thrive with PR, uh, needs to adapt to what's, you know, what's most relevant. So I have to stay relevant as well. And when I first began doing PR, I was just doing podcasts. That's the only thing that I did. And I got really good at it and then realized that I had, I had hit a cap, that I couldn't just pitch podcasts and make enough money to support a family, to buy a house and to invest in myself. Uh, so I needed to find a way 
to expand my skill set and serve entrepreneurs in like a, a more varied way. So that's what I did. I began learning about how to do editorial pitches and how to do TV pitches and all of these things that maybe I had I had an idea about, but weren't exactly sure how they worked. And so I had to call on, it was so uncomfortable and it still is every day. I had to call on lots of mentors who, well, people who are experts who later became mentors um, and ask them just for help and how I do things that are super basic to them, but were totally foreign to me. And because there was no course on how to become like a great publicist, I had to piece together my own course. And that meant reaching out. Uh, it meant making a lot of mistakes. It meant trying things that like sounded stupid and didn't work. Uh, but just in the end, at the end of the day, putting myself out there every day to learn something new so that I could eventually incorporate this into my business and help other entrepreneurs make a difference and make an impact with their businesses. See, that's amazing because you could have kind of just cruised along with pitching the podcast and nobody, once they start going in a direction, sometimes it's hard to break out of that direction because you just kind of want to, you know, you're making money, you want to keep going, doing what you're doing, but then you had to kind of take a step back and gain new skill sets that were hard to do. And so what kind of mindset that you have to adopt to say, wait a minute, I got to take a step back or two here and I really got to learn these things so I can come out a lot stronger because I know that I'll never be able to move that 10 steps forward that I need to get to, uh, to have, like you said, a home, a family, all that stuff. What kind of mindset did you have to adopt to make that all happen for yourself? I really had to focus on the bigger picture which is not something that I've always been very good at. <laughs> so I had to constantly remind myself that not only am I doing all of this growth and this learning for myself in terms of like, you know, the future that I wanted to see or that I wanted to live in, but I also had to do it because there are so many stories that need to be told that aren't being told because the entrepreneur in question doesn't have the skill set to pitch herself. And I thought if I can be that person to do PR in this intentional, wholehearted that gives back that helps change and shift our cultural narrative then like I need to do that because I don't see anybody else really teaching it or doing it and I thought why not me um, so a lot of it had to be with being comfortable with being uncomfortable and just taking a chance on myself and when you say shift the culture narrative what do you mean by that yeah so there's been a lot of talk recently about toxic masculinity I don't know if you've heard about it yeah I've I, I, I've heard the term I just haven't uh, had it explained to me so it'd be great if you could expand on that yeah so the basic idea is that the way that the media talks to men and the way that we talk to men um, teaches them that they need to be macho or tough or that they have to be the, the breadwinner of the family, that they have to provide and support. We had this narrative in question about how a man should behave, how a man should be. And lately, there's been a lot of talk about shifting that narrative to be more inclusive so that women can also be the breadwinner or that men can be emotional and they don't have to be tough or that we can destroy this maximum of like boys don't cry. We can stop teaching our boys that, that they have to be tough when they're six years old and they can't be emotional because we realize that when we teach men or teach boys this concept, they grow up to be men who are unemotional, they're unattached, there's a higher case of sexual assault and abuse because and anger because they don't know how to express emotions in a healthy way. And so we're seeing the adverse effects of teaching men and women 
how to treat men and how men behave. So this is the idea of toxic masculinity is that we're all the, everything about our society is teaching men how to behave this way and it's creating these consequences. So people, influencers, experts, people in the media um, have been intentionally and companies as well have been intentionally making an effort to shift the narrative by telling other stories, by offering different points of view, um, by showing what it's like to have a different approach. So there's people like there's a, oh, the Gillette commercials. I don't know if you've seen them as well, showing how men can be emotional and and their fathers teaching sons that emotions are healthy and okay is an example of shifting the cultural narrative. So companies taking a chance to tell these stories that might be against the cultural norm, but ultimately at the end of the day, move us forward as a society. Well, that's a uh, definitely a admirable mission, and I think it's a perfect way for us to segue to our last question because. This is where I love to give the guests the floor. I start with the guest, end with the guest. And you could certainly very easily dovetail off what you just said as you close out the podcast for us or give us something completely different. And the bottom line is share. The floor is yours. And by the way, before I I say uh, I give you the mic, I want to mention your website, sharehale.com. It's C-H-E-R-H-A-L-E.com. Pretty easy to remember and go to. I definitely suggest that you check her out. And then, of course, all of your connections will be on the website as well. But uh, Cher, the floor is yours. What would you like to say to the audience? Yeah, I would like to use this chance to talk to the honest person listening and tell them that if you have a story to tell, if you are making a difference in people that you're helping and working with, then your story is worth telling. And I would love for you to start pitching yourself and asking people to feature you in different ways, whether that's on podcasts, you could be your friends or a stranger um, or big websites, whatever you at this point feels like it would be a win for you press wise. I'd love for you to take the chance on yourself and go for it. Well, share hail publicist, expert, and somebody that has a lot to offer the entrepreneurs that are listening right now and business owners and executives and whatnot, check her out at sharehale.com, C-H-E-R-H-A-L-E.com. And Cher, thanks for spending so much time with me. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, Jane Houston has a long career that is centered on supporting entrepreneurs, especially female business owners, and she advises that having a good network is vital. Do not go it alone because you don't have to. Here's a little bit from Jane. So bottom line, my advice to women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs more broadly is don't go it alone. Find the resources that are right for you at your appropriate level in business. When you share the show on social media, and we hope you do, use the my Athena hashtag, lowercase my, and then Athena is all uppercase. Hashtag my Athena. And let's share this with the world.